The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Titan Sized Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Sized Podcast, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, Titan Sized, who, by the way, is currently in second place in uh, the Twitter poll for most respected Titans opinion. I, I don't know how we're behind our comrades at, uh, at Music City Miracles, but we are. Um, and we're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, the Titans yesterday won their first ever game at Lucas Oil Stadium, which is still surprising to say. But they did it, and they did it behind a good second-half run game and quality defense. We'll get into both of those things a little bit more uh, uh, in depth in a second. But I want to address this. The, the Titans sit at 7-4. and four. They are uh, currently first place in the AFC South. But a lot of people want to discredit what they've done because most of the teams that they've beaten, they've struggled to beat, and it's gone down to the fourth quarter, and a lot of them are not very good football teams. Their their recent wins have been against teams like the Bengals, the Colts yesterday, the Baltimore Ravens, who aren't very good. But I, I think it's important to note that you, know, you, you can only beat who's in front of you, and, and the Titans really have. They lost to the Dolphins with Matt Castle, which is explainable. They lost to the Steelers, who are probably a much better team. Sh- uh, short week on the road, primetime game, hard to win that. They lost to the Raiders, who have a really explosive offense. And um, they lost to the Texans, who they Deshaun Watson was playing out of his mind when they lost to the Texans. And all that big, long preface to say this, you can only beat who's in front of you. And aside from those couple of games... The Titans have done that. They've taken care of business. And no, it hasn't been pretty. And no, they haven't blown out all these teams. But they beat the teams that they're better than. They beat the teams that they should beat. And their record shows it. They're 7-4. and four, And I think that's something that Titans fans shouldn't be wagging their fingers at but should be pretty happy about. Yeah, I mean, you always, wanna, you, you always want your team to, to play very well and to blow teams out. I mean... It's fun when your team when your team is on fire and uh, it, you could see it on the field. Uh, but the reality is, this is the NFL. Uh, no game is easy, uh, especially games on the road. Um, so I think we should be very okay with seven and four. Uh, could this team play better? Uh, absolutely, obviously. Uh, they haven't been playing as well as we thought they would um, uh, coming into the season, at least. But I mean, we just won a division game on the road. It doesn't matter who we played. Uh, even though it was the Colts, I mean, go back into their schedule over the last four games. Uh, they lost to the Steelers by three. Uh, they beat the Texans by six, and they lost to the Bengals by one point. 
So they're not exactly a pushover. Uh, they have gotten blown out a couple times this year, but I mean, it is, it, these games are not easy. Um, and especially when uh, you turn the ball over twice, yeah, it, it it's even even uh, even uh, even harder. But um, I, I think we're in a good position. We're we're in first place in the AFC South right now. Uh, and if you wouldn't take that at this point, then I don't know. You have unrealistic expectations. Yeah, I mean. I tweeted something out about this yesterday or this morning, I think, where I said the point differential tells the story that when the Titans win, they win ugly, and when they lose, they lose even uglier. But as long as you're doing the first part, the second part doesn't really matter. As long as you're winning games more often than you're losing games, you know, generally you end up in the playoffs unless you end up, you know, nine and seven, like we did last year, where we kind of need the help of strangers. But. I mean, you win against the Jaguars, you win, you know, Jaguars on the road, you win against the Seahawks, you know, like we said, you sweep the Colts, you beat the Ravens, you beat the Bengals, you know, all those things may not look good right now, but at the end of the season, some of those teams are going to have seven, eight wins, and teams like the Seahawks, when we beat them at full strength, you know, if they stay healthy, they're a 12-win team with, you know, how the rest of that team's playing, and Jacksonville, if they had a different quarterback, would be, you know, even more formidable than they are now. But as it stands, I mean, you're first in the AFC South. You've been you I mean, with seven wins, you got more than you did in what was it, two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen combined, when you had two mm-hmm. and three wins each. Um that the the years may be wrong there. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think those are right, but I mean, you already have two more wins in both those year com- years combined. You can't complain about being first in the AFC South and you know on an easy path to a playoff spot if you do what you're supposed to do after years like that. I think Cam Newton think- put it really well yesterday after the Panthers win. He said, look, there certainly is such a thing as an ugly win, and we lost ugly today. But I do know this: there's certainly no such thing as a pretty loss. And I think that's the thing for the Titans right now. Yeah, they're winning ugly, but at least they're not losing. You know, oh, that was a close game, but we barely we lost by three points in the fourth quarter. I think that's important to to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. I think what's kind of sticking with uh, Titans fans is is those two blowout losses uh, to the Steelers and the Texans. Uh, yeah, they were pretty pretty bad. Uh, can't really justify them. Uh, but one of them was against the Steelers uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, where Big Ben just becomes the best quarterback in the league for some reason. Uh, I mean, he's thrown eight eight passing touchdowns over the past two weeks, so he, he he's feeling it right now. Uh, and also, Antonio Brown is just—I mean—he's uncoverable uh, at the moment. So I don't think there's too much to be taken from that game. Um, and the Texans, when we played the Texans, Deshaun Watson looked like the greatest quarterback to have ever played the game. They were a- absolutely on fire. They were putting up 30, 40 points on any team that they played. Um, so we kind of ran into a bit of a buzzsaw in both of those situations. Um, and, I mean, the Raiders game was week one. So much has changed since then. Um, so, And w- uh, we've been in every game, and we've won. Uh, we should be 8-3, and three, to be honest, uh, if it wasn't for that Matt Castle game in Miami where the Dolphins got a phantom touchdown regardless. We should have won that game. They, they'd be 8-3 and three in a game out of a first-round bye. Yeah, so I, I don't know what else the uh, Titans fans want. Like, I would love for the Titans to to be this dominant team, but that just it's not easy in the NFL unless you're the Patriots. So 
I mean, we're not we're not there yet. This this is still a rebuilding process. Yep. I, it reminds me a little bit of the Cincinnati Bengals team that made the playoffs in Andy Dalton's rookie year, although that team didn't win their division. They were a wild card team. But that was a team that no one really expected anything from. It was supposed to be a rebuilding year. And yeah, they went to the playoffs, but they got destroyed by the Texans when they got there. And I relate it to that not to say that the Titans are that team, that they're going to get crushed in the playoffs, and we weren't expecting this. right? We expected them to win the division. But you still have to remember, as Will said, that we are only, we're less than two years removed from a three-win season and less than three years removed from a two-win season. And it's important to remember that, and that two years ago, this roster was the worst in the NFL, no question about it. And now, they're a pretty good roster, but it's going to take some time for this collection of talent to become a collaboration of talent. And I think we're seeing that, and I think we're seeing them get better in some areas every week. And it's going to take a little while, and you never know. It could click at the right time, and then and then they go on a run towards the end of the season, and things get interesting when the playoffs roll around. And I think that's what you want as a Titans fan. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these guys are still meshing together. A lot of these guys are first-year guys. Um, whether it be rookies or free agent additions that are playing huge roles um, in their first years, first year in Tennessee. I mean, just look at the receiving core. We have three new faces that are uh, that are pretty much our, our top three. They were this past week with Richard Matthews out, uh, and then you have Logan Ryan. He's in his first year um, in the secondary. So is Jonathan Cyprian. So, I mean, <laughs> we're fine. I, I I I don't I don't understand the. And, and in saying this, I'm not trying to say that the Titans are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm just bringing up an example. If you remember back in the 2011 season when the Packers went. F- uh, 15 and one behind Aaron Rodgers' first MVP season, they were terrible in the playoffs. They laid an egg against the Giants, who, by the way, were eight and eight to win their division and ended up winning the Super Bowl. And you know, a team like the Eagles, who have only lost one game so far, they could lose their their co- cohesion that they have right now and lay an egg in the playoffs too. And so I don't think it's anything to worry about the fact that the Titans aren't blowing people out. They're they're taking care of the business. They're probably going to win their division, especially after the Jacksonville loss yesterday. That was very big. And I think you have to be happy with where they are. I, I, if you're not, I think your expectations are probably a little too high. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. different this year because usually the Titans, you know, they're a good story, but there's a glaring hole somewhere. Like last year, the defensive backs were god-awful. You know, the year before that, there was nobody at the running back position other than Antonio Andrews, you know, and you had a terrible offensive line. In just a couple of years, John Robinson has, you know, rebuilt the offensive line, gotten DeMarco Murray, who's really good last year and who is struggling this year, and Derrick Henry. Uh, he's gotten a whole new, you know, group of wide receivers who weren't on the roster. And you can debate if you know if they're playing well or if they're playing poorly, but you can't debate that Rashard Matthews isn't probably the best wide receiver they've had other than Nate Washington in the last decade. Um, and then on defense, you've got guys like Adoree Jackson, Logan Ryan, and Kevin Byard who look good. Wesley Woodyard and uh, John Brown look good. Derek Morgan's had a good season, and Arakpo is finally starting to catch on. Now they're letting him rush. There, there's not a position that you couldn't argue could take over any game. Like, I could see the Titans' offensive line taking over a game in the playoffs. I could see the defensive line in front seven having a game like they did last week. I could see Kevin Byard going off and having a couple interceptions and Logan Ryan or Adoree Jackson getting one, too. You know, I can see any position group really taking over the game 
when they need to to surprise any team, at, you know, with the talent they have. Now, I don't I don't necessarily expect that, but you you know you couldn't have convinced me last year that Lashawn Sims and or Parrish Cox and Antoine Blake were going to turn up and have a three interception game or a two interception game between them. Th- this year, you could probably sell me on that. So. I think it's a good position to be in, and it's somewhere that the Titans haven't been in a long time. Yeah. Also, uh, we're seven and four, uh, and we've achieved that record with an offense that has been kind of brutal, uh, and with a quarterback who hasn't been playing well, uh, and with a running game that hasn't been playing well at all either. So, I mean, I think we're pretty fortunate to be where we are at this point, and yeah, I, I mean, I think it could only get better. I mean, the Titans, you know, we talk about the Titans offense, they're brutal, but they're clutch. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a yeah. word that gets overrated a lot, but, I mean, how many fourth-quarter drives have we seen the Titans go on to go take the go-ahead lead and then the defense holds on and the Titans win a game that, you know, it looked like a couple of series before they might not win? I mean, when have we had a team that's had the that ability to have those comeback drives? And you can talk about Mariota, you know, any kind of way you want, from the second quarter and third quarter, but on the first drive when there's a clear plan for what the offense wants to do and on the last drive of the game where they need him most, he's been really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really the two reasons that the Titans were able to win this game in the fourth quarter and really the third quarter yesterday was their their pass rush and their running game. So let's talk about those two things. Let's start with the pass rush. Uh, it has been very pedestrian all season long. But yesterday, Mike Malarkey has repeatedly said, you know, the sacks are going to come in bunches. We're getting the pressures. The sacks are going to come. They came yesterday. The Titans got eight sacks, tying a franchise record for most sacks in a game, going way back to the Oilers days. That's a very big step forward. I don't care how bad the offensive line is that you're playing. Eight sacks is very impressive, especially with an offense and a quarterback like Jacoby Brissett who can move around and is very elusive. Yeah, they kind of used the same formula that they did against the Colts uh, in the first matchup. Uh, in the second half of that game, they just started blitzing like an abnormal amount. Uh, and I think in this past game, they blitzed on like, I think it was 55% of plays or something like that, which is which is pretty absurd. Uh, and it worked. I mean, eight sacks is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the last time the Times have had an eight-sack performance was uh, 1985 when we were the Oilers. So there's something to be said about that. Um, will it get the passers back on track? I don't know. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm just glad they're converting some of these sacks. Um, they they had been getting pressure um, uh, pretty often, uh, not really in the Steelers game, but before that they were getting pressure a good amount. Uh, it, it just wasn't turning into sacks. But, um uh, as as I've said before, and I'll say it again, football is a game where regression happens, and uh, you saw that come out in a big way uh, in this game in terms of sacks. So that was really good to see. Yeah, if you follow me at all, you know there's only two stats I care about for a defense. Um, one being combined sacks and turnovers, because I think that number gives you a really good uh, picture of how dominant a defense can be. And the second is points allowed. I don't care if you allow 500 yards. If you get a turnover every time the other team's on the one-yard line, you'll win every game you play. So those are the two stats that are the most important to me. So I've seen people kind of defend the pass rush with a lot of, uh, you know, pressure stats and 
that's just been unacceptable to me so far because I, I don't like explaining away bad play with a uh, quote-unquote advanced metric that tells you how close you got to making a good play. That, that It doesn't correlate to wins. But coming out and having you know the 55% blitz rate that ended up in six out of the eight sacks is huge. Um, Morgan criminally had a, had a strip sack taken away, which he really did a good job. I mean, it was a great play by him, and it got taken away by hands of the face to Logan Ryan that is questionable because that call really doesn't happen a lot in that down and distance uh, when it's that far away from the play with how that defense has been going. You know, it really is not something you see a lot, but – you know, the Titans should have had nine sacks in that game. So, uh, you know, the, kudos to Dick LeBeau for getting aggressive and seeing that that can work. And I, I'm glad the team performed well when he blitzed because it's something that this team needs to do more often. Yeah, and uh, let me just uh, shower some praise on someone uh, that Will wrote an article about today. Derek Morgan has been awesome this season. Uh, he's got four sacks in his last four games. Uh, and I think he's having possibly uh, the best year of his career uh, just by watching him. So, man, he's, he's been great, and Arakba has been getting better as the season has gone on, too. I uh, I talked to Derek Morgan during training camp and asked him about what it was like not getting to 10 sacks last year. He finished the season with, I think, 9.5 after that Texans game where the Titans won, and he said he thinks he was the only person who slammed their helmet down after the loss. Um, hmm. with seven sacks already this year and five games left, he certainly has a chance to get there this year. And, and you're absolutely right. He He's really playing peak football of his career. And, and he's such a solid guy. You know, sometimes you get a first-round pick and they become Von Miller, and sometimes you get a first-round pick and they become Justin Gilbert. Derek Morgan is right in the middle, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with getting someone like him in the first round. You don't have to get a Hall of Famer, but you don't want to end up with someone that you're going to cut after a year. And Derek Morgan, having played for this team for seven or eight years now, really steady. Yeah, eight years. Really good first-round pick. Going way back to the – was that a Rustin Webster pick, or did that predate him? Oh, that was was before – That was Reinfeldt. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a great pick, man. I mean, coming out, he was considered like one of the safest draft draft prospects, uh, and usually that that doesn't exist. <laughs> but he actually has been uh, probably one of the safest draft picks we've gotten uh, over the last decade or so. And the great thing is, he's only twenty eight years old, and he's going to go into mm-hmm. his ninth season at twenty nine years old. He's a guy that can produce for at the same level for probably another two to three years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if he gets two or three more sacks this year, he'll be right at six sacks per season, and that's really good for your second. I mean, if your second best uh, pass rusher, which is what he should be on a team, if he's getting six sacks a year and you've got somebody who can get ten sacks on the other side of him, you've got a pretty talented tandem. I mean, it, it looks good to have a Joey Bosa and a Melvin Ingram, but th- they don't grow on trees. I mean – there's a reason why you know those names right off the top of your head. It's because they're so dominant. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you yeah, look absolutely. at him, since, since 2012, these are his sack totals. Six and a half, six, six and a half, four and a half, nine, seven. The four and a half is the outlier here, and that was when it, I guess the team was trying to figure out, you know, what to do with Arakpo and what to do with Morgan and how to bounce him out, uh, whatever. But 
neither one of them really had a great season. And then next year they exploded and combined for 20 sacks. So, you know, now that they seem to have found their rhythm in the last two years, he's already gotten 16 sacks, which nearly matches his best three, three year stretch of his career. So he's having a really good season and I don't think he's getting talked about enough and he won't, he probably won't go to the pro bowl if the Titans, you know, don't make some noise defensively over these next few weeks. But and to be fair, he might not deserve it if he only gets 10 sacks, but he's been really good and consistent for this team, and somebody's got to recognize him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about the pass rush. Now let's talk a little bit about the running game. We've talked about this a lot, probably more than any other topic since we started this podcast back in August. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to hit on it at least one more time today, but I want to talk about it from a different angle than we usually talk about it. Usually we talk about how bad DeMarco Murray has been. And I just saw where, where uh, Brian Baldinger tweeted a video. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. I'll, I'll try to watch it as we talk about this, uh, about how bad DeMarco Murray is. But let's talk about how good Derrick Henry was yesterday. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. A huge DeMarco Murray fan, always really have been. And at the beginning of the season, I talked about how Derrick Henry was overwhelming, and he still has some of the same problems that he had at the beginning of the season. But it, it's time for Derrick Henry to be the starter on this offense on first and second down. DeMarco Murray still needs to play on third down because he's shown that he can still be a very effective uh, receiver out of the backfield in a passing situation. But Derrick Henry, if it's first or second down and it's an obvious run situation or you want to go play action, you got to put him in the game because he is the only one, save a 75-yard touchdown that DeMarco Murray had against the Seattle Seahawks, he's the only one that has done anything in this running game this year, all year long. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying it for the past couple of weeks that the best configuration right now is just let Derrick Henry handle the early download and let DeMarco be the pass catcher and pass protector on third down and passing downs. Um, I mean, it's becoming more clear uh, by the week, really. And it, it's honestly kind of sad uh, just watching DeMarco Murray out there because something's wrong. Either he has just nothing left in the tank or he's severely injured because it, it is really bad. I mean, the last two weeks he's averaged 1.2 yards a carry and 0.8 yards a carry. I, I can get that that number. I really do think so. No, prob- probably not. I would, I would get like minus three yards every time. But anyway, he's been he's been atrocious. Uh, it's really sad to see. And the worst part is that it's killing the offense uh, because Marcus Mariota hasn't been comfortable this entire year. And he's not going to continue to be comfortable if he's being put in second and ten and second and nine situations. Or even worse than that, honestly, considering considering uh, DeMarco got nine yards on 12 carries uh, this week. So uh, just, just let Henry uh, tout the rock, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted during the game. I said the Titans' running back rankings right now are number one, Adoree Jackson; number two, Marcus Mariota; number three, Taewon Taylor; number four, Derrick Henry; number five, Jalston Fowler. Uh, and Fowler wasn't even active in that game. I, I mean, they, they they need more consistency in between the tackles, and both of these running backs want to bounce it outside too much. But it's it's very clear what they should be, you know. I'm not I'm not going to say if you're watching the games and all that kind of stuff cuz we say that a lot and at this point you either are or you aren't I you think know sometimes there, there's no reason we, not to we watch don't them, say it sarcastically it, it, we actually mean that that maybe some people don't watch the games Yeah 
That is true. I mean, <laughs> definitely watch what you're talking about and don't just think, don't just hear somebody say it on the, on TV or on the radio and then agree with it and say it. Um, not saying that any of y'all do that, just a general rule for everybody, including myself and everybody else. So, um, I forget what I'm saying, but, but, uh, <laughs> oh no, I remember. Uh, the point is, is that the, the Titans need to have two very clear roles for both running backs. They're not both the same guy. You need a inside run game or an, you know, it, Henry can run inside or out. I understand that. But where he really makes his hay is forcing linebackers and defensive backs to commit to coming in the box to stop him and then bouncing it outside and getting them at bad angles where he can hit them with that stiff arm. So that's where he does well. Where he doesn't do well is when he tries to catch the ball or pass protect. He's not very good at those things, which is great because that's exactly what Murray is good at. So mm-hmm. use Murray as a third down back, maybe have him start first downs every third series or something. But, you know, he doesn't have to get the first snap in every series just to prove that he's the start running back. All you've got to do is say that he's the number one running back on this team, and that's fine. But there's very clear numbers at this point in the season where, where, where I mean, Murray may not be healthy. He may be healthy. I don't know. But either way, the numbers are saying you've got a guy who's running really well inside and who's bouncing out and making, you know, 10-yard plays repeatedly in the fourth quarter, and you've got a guy who's running for one or two or has even had a negative nine-yard rush uh, on Sunday. and. Yeah. You, it's at a certain point, you've got to help your young quarterback and your offense out. You can't keep making the same mistakes. So if, if you want to fix those things, watch your film and self-scout and say, okay, Henry's the starting running back, and every third down we're putting Murray out there, and it's going to be better for both people and for the team. Until you do that, you are not being honest with yourself, and you're only hurting your chances for success. Yeah, and uh, I know we've been kind of critical of Derrick Henry at times this season, but I think he's he's improved over the last couple of weeks. Uh, each of the last two weeks, um, there was there was one run in each game where um, he really had nothing at the line of scrimmage, uh, and he just fa- found a way to to bounce it outside and make a play and get over ten yards um, in both games, uh, and that was awesome to see because he really wasn't doing that. Um, earlier in the season or midway through the season. So uh, I think he's getting better. And I mean, I, I mentioned this uh, before the podcast even started. I really want to see Derrick Henry with like a 25 to 30 carry game. Uh, I would just be really, really interested to see how that would play out. Um, I think he would, I think he would kill it honestly and just completely wear defenses down because I don't think he's gone over 20 carries in any game uh, so far in his career. But if he does get a 30 carry game, what he can't do is bounce it outside every time where they don't get tired of tackling him because it's just a DB pushing him out of bounds on every play. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, if the coaches need to tell him, uh, run it inside uh, on whichever plays, um, so be it. But, I mean, I'd rather him get 30 carries than DeMarco even getting 10 at this point, which it sounds ridiculous after last season, but uh, that's the state of affairs that we're in right now. So I watched the Baldinger video. I sent you guys a, a picture of it. it. It it's bad with Demarco it hurts. Murray. It hurts. Yeah, I mean, it's that, not. That, that would have been a touchdown last year. Yeah. Um. And you know, as for his t- Henry's, you know, the game where he's rushed the most. 
against Indianapolis the first time this year. He ran for 19 carries for 131 mm-hmm. yards and 6.9 yards per carry and a touchdown. Um, yeah. if, if you all remember, that's the game where the Titans did the, the exact same they did this week where they leaned really hard on him in the f- fourth quarter and a gassed defense wanted nothing to do with him. They, I mean, they were ready to go home and they didn't care if they had to lose to do it, but they weren't going to tackle that man again. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, again, if you can have him run in between the tackles, you can get to that in the third quarter. You don't have to wait for the fourth quarter. You can get a defense in that mind if they have to chase Mariota around for, you know, two quarters. And, you know, if you don't just say, here, take this ball and find a lane, if you say, you're going place that B gap on this play, and I don't care if you get one yard, you're going to lower your shoulder and you're going to fall forward and you're going to keep driving your legs and you're going to make them tackle you. But, you know, I've yet to see the coaches do anything that makes me think they're going to do that. But if they would do that, it would really help this offense. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So uh, we said we wouldn't talk about Mariota, and uh, we're not going to. Uh, and I use that as a segue to th- – there's some breaking NFL news. Let's talk a little bit about, about outside the Titans for just a second. Uh, Akib Talib and Michael Crabtree each suspended yeah. for two games for – the chain snatch and the fighting. Is any that was awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. When, while it was happening, I was like, Whoa, this is getting a little out of hand here. And then I see Michael Crabtree without a helmet, and he's just trying to punch people with helmets on, and I still don't understand why people try to do that. Uh, it's not very smart. You're going to break your hand, but that was a crazy fight. Uh, I think two games for each of them is a little ridiculous, honestly. That's a little harsh, considering they got suspended in the first quarter. So they're pretty much getting suspended Talib three games. Has a history, though. I mean, Talib tried to fight Harry Douglas last year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, and Crabtree and Talib have to know that there's serious repercussions every time they fight, or they're going to do it because they're in the same division. I mean, they're going to do it every year. Mm-hmm. Both of them are there, which may not be much longer for Talib if. Denver doesn't do better, and they just try to strip the parts there. But, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I like teams to have attitude and for them to get a little feisty. That's why I love LaJuan so much. What I don't love is the I was taught in high school, uh, if you ever get into a fight, you leave your helmet on. There's no reason in a fight to take your helmet off. I don't like Crabtree coming out and swinging it. Uh, Talib after he's got his helmet off because what if Talib just runs in and headbutts him? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, is he suspended for the season because some idiot took his helmet off to fight? I mean, you know, you can't. I mean, use your weapons. I mean, you you were given a helmet that's you know essentially saying, okay, you're not going to get hurt if you just leave me on. Because what are they going to do? Punch you in the neck? I mean, there's not much you can do if somebody's got a helmet on. But if you take your helmet on and start swinging and you get hit in the head. I, I don't I if I'm the commissioner I can't blame the other guy for beating you up like that I mean you kind of get what you deserve so I don't know I think two games is harsh I mean I haven't said that I think it's one of the most intriguing things to watch when you watch the Broncos and the Raiders play so I, I hope they still have some aggression and physicality between the two of them but it, you know eventually you have to say okay we're not just going to let y'all, you know, have a fight every single game. It reminds think, me uh, a, a little bit of the Odell Beckham, Josh Norman stuff. Oh, yeah. that was crazy. Yeah, that was that wild. Was so, I was just going to say about uh, 
I actually think this kind of this might put the Raiders out of contention for the playoffs. Honestly, like being without Crabtree for the next two games, and Amari Cooper right now is dealing with a concussion and a sprained Davis ankle. Okay. I don't yeah. know. They have beast mode in the backfield. Yeah, yeah. I just lean on him for forty k. Beast mode is a slow Derrick Henry. Right now, yeah, anyway. I don't know if he was a Hall of Famer Jared, in his prime, but in reception in receiving yards, that is insane to me. Really? That's that's what it says here. Um, Marshawn, look one more time. Marshawn leads the team in receiving. No, uh, oh, no. Jared Cook. Look, yeah. Oh, Jared, Jared Cook. Five hundred thirty-six yards. Crabtree five hundred and two. Amari Cooper four hundred ninety-nine. Wow. What the? <laughs> I, I have no idea. And he had one yard last week. Exists in this day and age. I mean, he only has one receiving touchdown, and the other two have eleven combined. And and yet, he's not only had more receiving yards, he's had the exact same number of receptions as the other two. It's forty-two, forty-two, and forty-two. So it means he has a higher average, and he has as many twenty or more yard gains as Michael Crabtree, and more than Amari Cooper. Uh, I mean, yeah. he leads them in first down receptions. So a team with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper is being outpaced by Jared Cook, and that's why they probably won't make the playoffs. This mm. is uh, kind of crazy. In 2011 with the Titans, Jared Cook had a 15.5 yards per catch average. That's really good. That is really I, good. I don't remember that. I really don't. I mean, I don't ever remember him being that impressive. Like I remember, did him he have like two catches for thirty yards that season or something? Yeah, and well, he, had, he had a long of eighty, so and he only had forty nine catches. So <laughs> I guess that has something to do with it. Yeah. Um. So one last topic about the Titans, and then we're going to have a bit of a, uh, a reprise or a reprise of, of last week's contenders or pretenders game. I have a couple of oh, teams I want us to talk oh, about yeah. in the remaining time we have. Yeah. But first, I don't want to talk about Mariota because I'm tired of talking about him. I don't really know what to say other than that he's been really bad lately. But let's just talk about the passing game in general. No Rashard Matthews on Sunday, which I think really contributed to the passing game struggling. And as we talked about before we started recording the show, uh, we thought that this would finally be the year that th- no, we loved Lenny Walker, but we thought this would be the year that the Titans wouldn't have to rely on their 33-year-old tight end to be their deep threat. And unfortunately, they still are having to rely on Delaney Walker. Obviously, Corey Davis didn't play very, at all during the first really eight, eight weeks of the season. He is still young. He's he's getting used to the game. But you, ha- you have Harry Douglas. He's a veteran. Eric Decker's done nothing. Taewon Taylor's done nothing. And Rashard Matthews has done a lot, but he's he's hurt right now. And I don't know that you can rely on him and Delaney Walker to carry you in your passing game. So what's their problem right now? Are they legitimately missing Tajay Sharp and Kendall Wright? Or is it just taking some time for this transition to, to, to work? Um, I don't think we can keep saying that, uh, that it's just all the rookies and free agents that uh, are taking time to to mesh with Mariota. Um, and I do think that Mariota hasn't been that great this season. Um, but I'm starting to think it's just the scheme that's the problem because this should not be happening with a quarterback of Mariota's caliber. He should not be this uncomfortable uh, at times, and he should not be missing missing on some of these throws that are leading to interceptions. Um, 
And I don't know, there have been a ton of miscommunications with Mariota and his receivers, which we didn't see uh, even over, even in his rookie season and his sophomore season. So something's going on. Um, I, maybe I'm just making Terry Robisky out to be the scapegoat, but it, it's got to be this game because this does not make sense. They, they're horrible right now uh, in the passing game. Yeah, I mean... I, I, while we were talking about this, I was kind of making a list of the receivers' pros and cons. So if you go from the top, Rashard Matthews, um, you know, because that, that's what you know we're talking about is how the receivers are in this game. I think Rashard Matthews is very consistent, and he has great chemistry with Mariota. I think his issue is that he's not necessarily as dynamic as you would want a number one receiver to be. Although having said that, he has had, I think, two different touchdowns over 60 yards a season, if not over 60, over 50. Um, uh, Taewon Taylor is elusive and quick, but he's inconsistent, and he struggles to get on the field. Uh, he won't ever be a great blocker for you, which is something that Robisky values in, in a wide receiver, You know whether we like it or not. Um, Corey Davis has shown that he can be explosive, but he still makes rookie mistakes not undercutting that interception in Pittsburgh, fumbling the ball through the end zone at home, you know, things like that. But then he also shows the ability to go up and be a six, you know, six, three number one wide receiver in the NFL and grab a tough catch and keep his toes in bounds and get, you know, 12, 15 yards or be elusive. Um, Eric Decker has consistent hands once he's in rhythm and he's a good blocker. But the problem is if you need, uh, a first down, he can get it. But if you're leaning on him to be a big part of the offense and he has to get you more than five yards, you're in trouble. Um, I think that's everybody I had written down. Did I miss anybody? Uh, I Harry Douglas. I, Harry Douglas. Harry Douglas. I had, you know, <laughs> we know what Harry Douglas is. So, and I think that's, that's self-explanatory. Like, He's a, already uh, an interception on a Harry Douglas target came early this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the tweet that's going out that keeps getting retweeted every time Mariota throws it uh, throws at him is nothing good happens when you target Harry Douglas, and that's fair. Uh, I mean, so far there has been literally no example where that hadn't been true. So, you know, that's kind of what the I, wide I think last year he caught a deep ball against the Bears. He's he has some decent. Uh, receptions since Mario, I mean, since he and Mario have been together, um, you know, his first touchdown pass in the NFL was to Harry Douglas in the preseason. So oh, that's right on that crosser against Minnesota. Yeah. So in the fourth game of the preseason. So, I mean, it's, it, and he was fast. I mean, on that play, he was faster than a bunch of young, you know, 20 something year olds that were trying desperately to make a team. He outran all of them. So, you know, I don't know that they're the most talented group, but at, at the very least, they were athletic and young. So, you know, he showed some ability there. But, you know, it's just he's not going to be somebody that you really want, you know, to, to you know, be on the field for 20 snaps a game. And you sure don't want him as your left tackle blocking pass rushers. But, you know, that's that's some Wizenhunt Bush League stuff right there that Rubisky pulled out that needs to be addressed and condemned in that in that uh, offense. Yeah. So also, uh, the I just want to say the coaching staff keeps uh, saying about Corey Davis that he needs to improve his run blocking. 
Uh, I haven't really noticed it, but I, I thought he was doing fine. But I mean, cl- it's clearly the rookies are um, they're lagging behind a little bit because the coaching staff keeps kind of calling them out. So that might have something to do with the with the whole passing offense being being slow. I think uh, Harry Douglas, if Taylor Lewan ever gets injured, Dennis Kelly might have competition to be the backup left tackle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real feisty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Good so, frame. Let, let's play contenders, pretenders. We have a couple minutes left before we need to cut this episode off. Uh, so last week we talked about, I believe we talked about the Falcons. We talked about the Seahawks. We talked some about the Vikings. Um, I, I want to talk about, let's see, one AFC team, two AFC team, and an NFC team. Let's let's talk about, uh, let's start with the Buffalo Bills. That's who we're going to start with. Personally, I think there's zero chance they end up making the playoffs, especially with how the Chargers are playing. They, they couldn't mesh earlier in the season, but now that they are meshing with Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, we, we talk about them all the time, that, that powerful pass-rushing tandem. And then you have Phillip Rivers throwing the ball all around the yard to Keenan Allen. You still have Mike Williams, your first-round pick, who's yet to really make an impact. And if he's able to make an impact along with everyone else that is, that's a really good football team that no one will want to play in December. Yeah. Well, are we talking about the Bills right now? Well, I mean – the Bills, I don't think there's very much to talk about. I don't think they're that exciting of a team. Uh, yeah, hold agreed. On. I, I, oh. I definitely think they're going to make the playoffs. Wow. They get to play Ooh. They get to play the Colts and the Dolphins twice down the stretch, and they have six wins. I mean, they're going to be a nine-win team. But aren't don't you think the Chargers could be a nine-win team too? Okay, the Chargers have five wins now, and they I have, have to play – uh, they get to play the Browns. The Ooh. Redskins are moderately tough. They have uh, to play at Kansas City, uh, uh, at the Jets, uh, which be ice cold for a California team, and versus the Raiders, who should have Crabtree and Cooper back by then, unless there's another fight and sprained ankle situation. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the schedule difference is striking, but from a team perspective, I think the Chargers are leaps and bounds better than the Bills, and it would be it, it would be upsetting to uh, i can see where it'd be very upsetting to uh, an la chargers fan if they were to miss the playoffs yeah i mean i i i think they're they're better than the Bengals and the ravens yeah i mean but but the best teams don't always get into the playoffs i mean it's the team with the most wins and if they had a decent kicker they would have won the first you know two games and they would have been fine but instead that you know okay they're going to beat the browns 90% 90% chance, probably higher. So let's go ahead and call them six and six at that point. If the Buffalo Bills just beat the people they should beat and get to nine wins, that means that they have to win at least three of versus Washington at Chiefs and Arrowhead, which is always crazy, um, at Jets, which is going to be ice cold on Christmas Eve, and versus the Raiders. So they've got to win. Wait, they, already, they beat the Chiefs. They've got to play Chiefs. They played. They're, they're in conference or in division. Oh, I thought we were talking <laughs> about the Bills. No, right. no, no, no. Sorry, this is the Chargers. We're assuming the Bills get nine wins, and we're. I'm talking about the Chargers. So they've got to win 
three of those four games down the stretch, and that's if the tiebreakers fall to them. If for, if uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, they won't or they will because they beat the Bills, so that'll be big. So the you know I think head to head matchup matters in that situation, right? In in tiebreakers for the playoffs, it's if you want a head to head matchup, then it goes to divisional record, then head to head. Oh, it's divisional record. Okay. Well, no, 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 so, no, no. My bad. It, it's head to head, then divisional record. Yeah. Okay. That's that's oh, what for I the thought. division. Okay. For the division, yeah. So, you know, it, it, I mean, it's close. I, I mean, they could both be nine win teams. I didn't think the Cardinals would beat the Jaguars, but they did. So you never <laughs> know what could happen. And let's see, let's see when they play. Do they play the Patriots? The Patriots play the no. The Patriots will play the Bills Christmas Eve. They won't bench people already. I mean, they could, but I don't expect them to with, without really a backup quarterback worth talking about. So, okay, y'all are both calling the Bills pretenders. I'm going to say they're contenders just by the by the virtue of the fact that they just got their sixth win, and it was against Kansas City. So, if Kansas City gets knocked out and they're fighting a, for a wild wild card spot there, they'll have the tiebreaker with them. My main problem is that their head coach legitimately thought that Nathan Peterman was their best <laughs> option at quarterback. And I don't he know would... who that speaks less of. Their coach, whatever his name is. What's his name? Is... McDermott. McDermott. Or, uh, or Tyrod Taylor. I mean, that's what – that incident. That was insane. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, that made no sense. Last team, so... but before we cut this off. An, an NFC team. I th- we may have talked about them last week, but they're a team that I really like. So it, even if we did, we're going to go back to them. The Carolina Panthers, one game ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, currently, if the season ended right now, they would have a wild card spot with the Saints winning that division. Um, and if the if the season ended today, there would be three NFC South teams in the playoffs, which I think. If the best teams are the ones that are going to get in, that needs to be the case, especially considering all the injuries in the secondary that the Seattle Seahawks, who are who are the team on the fringe, have suffered. Yeah, I think it's very possible that we'll get three NFC South teams. Uh, the Panthers are good. They have one of the best defenses in the league. Um, Cam Newton hasn't been as uh, as great as he usually is this season, and uh, I'm not sure what Greg Olson's injury situation is. Um, the thing with the Panthers and their playoff hopes right now, which seems crazy because they're eight and three, but their upcoming schedule is really bad. Like it is, it might be the worst schedule, uh, possible left. Um, I mean the, they play the Packers and the Bucks, which, uh, they, those should be wins, but they play at New Orleans against the Vikings and then at Atlanta. Um, and if we see it, yeah, yeah, that is bad. And if we see a team like the Seahawks, um, um, their their schedule really isn't that tough. Going well, actually, it is tough. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. I really don't know. I just don't like the Panthers all that much. But I think I might be giving too much credit to to some of these other teams, like the Seahawks, who have uh, dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, and I don't think the Lions are going to win enough games to to get in there. So I, yeah, the I don't Panthers like the might be anyway. In. Yeah, they're yeah. not very good. Um. I mean, they're they're obviously contenders to me because if they just beat a bad Bucks team and a bad uh, Packers team without Aaron Rodgers, they're at ten wins. So I mean, ten wins puts you in a really good position to make the playoffs every year, no matter what. So good for them. 
I mean, the biggest game on their schedule is against the Saints because if Lattimore doesn't play, I'm not sure that they can't beat the Saints in New Orleans. So, you know, if they beat the Saints in New Orleans and they're nine and three, uh, and two out of their next three games are versus the Packers and versus the Buccaneers at home both times, I mean, that's an 11 win season, and that damn near guarantees you a playoff a berth. We're going to close out this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We should be back later in the week to preview the Houston Texans, although as I was thinking about it, there's not much to talk about because they're not very good. Um, but until then, uh, thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. For Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, I'm Luke Worsham. Uh, we will talk to everybody next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.